I'm Naira Antoun, Director of the Transnational Trans and Citizenship Project. You're listening to Order from Ashes, the podcast from Century International. Today, I'm joined by Ivan Marovic to discuss movement building. This podcast is part of the Transnational Trends and Citizenship Project, where we brought together topic experts, activists, and scholars from the Middle East, Europe, and North America to see what we could learn when we break down area-based silos. Today's conversation comes out of the Protest and Movements Working Group. Ivan Marovic is a Serbian organizer and educator. He currently serves as a director of field education at the International Center on Nonviolent Conflict in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Ivan, for joining today. Hi, Naira. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks, Ivan. So, um, yeah, you've done a lot of uh, work um, over the years, uh, decades almost, around um, movement building, both as an activist and a supporter. Maybe you can just begin by saying a little about your, your background. Yeah, so I started as a student organizer back in the 90s, and uh, I relatively early in my, like, early 20s, uh, I happened to be one of the leaders of the Otpor movement, which helped bring down Slobodan Milosevic in Serbia in year 2000, which was primarily a youth-led campaign, but it grew into a, a wide, uh, uh, widely supported popular movement that through civil resistance and nonviolent action managed to stop the guy who was called the Butcher of the Balkans. It was such a momentous thing for myself, for my uh, friends, but also around the world, a lot of people got interested in that. And I ended up actually consulting with the pro-democracy groups and a lot of youth activists, uh, different kind of dissidents around the world on topics such as like uh, uh, movement building and and methods of nonviolent action and things like that. So it's been like 20 years now, and uh, I've kind of saw a lot of things. I've met a lot of people in the meantime and kind of even made some, how shall I say, conclusions <laughs> as a result. Yeah, which we're going to um, hear a little bit about um, today. So you, you've you've said that, um, that movements sort of sit somewhere between um, spontaneous uh, outbursts and, and formal organization. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I have to say that, like, when as I was uh, kind of getting involved in in political action as a as a student organizer, I've actually noticed already that there are uh, two very distinct schools of organizing around me, and I encountered a lot of people, and I encountered that their approach to political action was very different. On one end, there were people who belonged to traditional organizations, uh, trade unions, political parties, NGOs, civic groups. And for them, the most important thing when they were approaching uh, uh, political action was organizing. It was uh, connecting with people. It was human resources. It was uh, creating networks and then using those to build organizational capacity to kind of depend on the skills of the people that they've recruited, to depend on their resources, and then to kind of uh, push the agenda of the organizations. It was a very long-term outlook, very kind of detailed, at times bureaucratic uh, work. On the other hand, uh, there was also this other school, which we call the protest school. And this was very, very much present at the university as I was growing up. And this was mostly connected to using the moment, using the energy of the people, using the location 
that can be a central square, it can be a university building, and people who just happen to be there. And trying to mobilize people through these very, very uh, distinct outbursts of high energy, high participation. But that wouldn't last long. And that, that, that would kind of generate a lot of excitement, but then it would either be like uh, there would be a crackdown or even if there is no crackdown after some time, the energy dissipates, goes away, and there is no like uh, follow-up. There is no kind of lasting result. And, and people would start in one school, let's say in the protest school, and when they go through that disappointment, then they say, okay, this doesn't work. Let's go do something completely else. And then they would like start an organization, an NGO or, or a political party, and then they would try to do something else. And then there were also people who would spend like decades in these political parties or NGOs or trade unions. And after like this slow work uh, and, and, and little result, they would like give up and say, okay, now let's do something completely different. And they would try to kind of uh, achieve something through mobilization. And as, as, as that was something that, that I and my uh, colleagues experienced, we started experimenting because after the uh, failure of the student protest in 1996, we were marching for four months every day, like, you know, sniffing tear gas and getting like uh, beaten by the police and all that stuff. And we didn't achieve much. We met our friends and colleagues from political parties who were also disappointed in lack of their performance at the elections. They couldn't achieve much. And so then we started experimenting about the hybrid. And this is where I actually understood that the successful movement, as we were building it, has to have some elements of spontaneous protest, namely energy, high participation, uh, that horizontal networking that is happening uh, uh, outside or without hierarchy, but also has to have some characteristics of formal organizations, most notably strategic planning, uh, uh, longevity, and... uh, kind of attention to detail that is lacking in the in the spontaneous protest. And as we were building our own movement, I actually realized that, you know, this is what the movement is. If we, if we categorize organizing in t- these two distinct uh, groups, we will never, how should I say, think of a sweet spot that is in the middle. And what struck me is that a lot of people were not thinking about the middle. They were either trying to develop the best political party, the best organization, or they were trying to develop the best protest. And they would even say like the protest that is going to be the the one that is going to end all protests. We're going to bring everybody into the street and it's going to be the end of it. But actually the movement has both things that are needed. One is high participation and second is uh, sustained participation over a longer period of time. And that is, for any kind of meaningful change, uh, these two elements are equally important. Right. So, yeah, so now that we've kind of situated a little bit what we mean by movements, because, you know, many things are called movements. But, yeah, so now that we've situated what we mean when we're when we're talking about, about movements, um, so a lot of your work uh, in support of movement building in different parts of the world um, has focused on uh, skills building? So what I believe is that, you know, uh, skills are an important, uh, one of the elements important for movement building, but it is an element that is completely within our 
control. This is something that we can build. So, you know, there are different conditions that, that we are facing as we are trying to mobilize people. And these, usually these conditions are given and there's nothing we can do about it. Or actually there is something we can do about it, but it will take a lot of time. And conditions do change over time. And this is what movements do. They change conditions. But it is important to find appropriate skills for the, for the given conditions. And these skills are no ordinary skills or not just any skills. These skills are actually... Uh, very much connected to increased participation. So these are the skills that we have to build as activists and organizers to mobilize people. That means to find communities that are affected by injustices, that are affected by uh, certain like policies or or, uh, power imbalances, and that they have rudimentary or developed formulated grievances help them with that, and then turn that energy into a, uh, uh, like a movement that is going to last for a longer period of time. So it's not just to go and agitate in the communities, uh, which is something that, you know, kind of comes to mind, like what would activists do, but rather to be an activist, but also to be an organizer. And that is to mobilize people, but also to organize them. And to organize them means to build power in those communities, the power that they can use later to counter any uh, uh, kind of trespassing or any any incursions into their, uh, how should I say, uh, autonomous uh, 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 realm, which is like, you know, their, their community. So that building power in the grassroots is uh, essential uh, component, but it is built by the same people who live in that community. And this is where these skills uh, come in because these are the skills of like organizing, of communication, of strategic planning, of uh, tactical innovation and everything else that is accomplished in the process of learning by doing. So you don't go to school to learn those skills. You learn those skills by actually being in that community, uh, understanding the, the, the issues mobilizing and organizing that community and then having the feedback mechanism so that you learn from the mistakes and from the uh, uh, things that, that, that you encountered and you can build and improve the strategy. And this is why learning is kind of connected to uh, actual work. Yeah, so this is a very different model, say, from... Um skills building simply around leaders who then do the work of formulating grievances, um, doing the strategic thinking, and then just sort of lining everyone else up into place. Like you keep uh, mentioning the word grassroots. So this is skill building all the way, all the way down or all the way up. Yeah. So, so uh, the, the, the model that you uh, just described is very much connected to hierarchical organizations where you have one given, and that is the, that what 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 they call the power vertical you know so like you have a communication between the leadership communication with the, between them and the, and the people who are going to do the work so you can communicate the message of the leader of like okay this is what we're going to do but with movements it's it's all in the locale it's all in that community if they don't possess the capacity to plan the capacity to formulate their 
strategy, their policy, their goals, their message, they will not get it from anybody else. So, so leadership in these uh, uh, kind of uh, efforts in movements is not really about like telling people what to do. Leadership in movements is more about uh, education and skill building. So leaders are those who help their communities build their skills so they can actually uh, uh, do that autonomously. And this is very uh, uh, kind of, it turns out to be crucial in countries which, uh, which are under authoritarian rule. Because whenever there is a crackdown, what these authoritarian governments do is they're trying to break the network of the civil society, the dissidents that are in different groups, different alliances and coalitions, but they're communicating to each other. They're trying to break this apart so that they stop them. But if there is that capacity on the local level to resist uh, uh, that crackdown and to resist oppression, uh, then this repression is going to backfire because it's going to meet resistance at each instance where it tries to 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 uh, do a crackdown. And this is uh, why skill building actually pays off in the end. When leadership is arrested, uh, it doesn't it doesn't kill the movement. Actually, a very good example of that is uh, South Africa under the apartheid movement, where Nelson Mandela and his, Colleagues were uh, on Robin Island. They were arrested and they were uh, sent uh, to jails. They were there for 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 years. The, the the other part of the leadership was in Angola, trying to launch a, a, an armed struggle, and they were fighting from there. But the coalition called the United Democratic Forces, which had like hundreds and hundreds of of civic groups under that uh, umbrella, but a lot of people joined who were not members of those civic groups. They just joined the umbrella. They were capable of launching things like uh, consumer boycotts, like school uh, walkouts, like, you know, different kind of uh, mobilizations. And the, the, the government couldn't, the apartheid regime couldn't stop them because they were trying to figure out, like, who, who is leading this? Who is the one that we need to, the, how, how do we decapitate this? So it's actually a very good, very good example of 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 uh, of, uh, of such a movement. We had something similar. Uh, Sorry, just to cut in. So just to, mm-hmm. just to stay on that example for a minute. So a part of what it sounds like you're saying is the um, importance of the people who are developing these skills are also not necessarily people who self-define as activists, even. It exactly. sounds like from your description. A lot of these people who are who are helping uh, with the development of these skills are, are, we can call them like movement friends or allies. I mean, a lot of these people are actually in the movement with one foot and in the other foot, they're somewhere else, which gives them the ability to be there and to and to help with, the, with this uh, process of skill building because they don't need to be uh, attached to day-to-day movement organizing and, and political work that is associated with that. But they are still capable of kind of assessing the needs, uh, mapping the, the movement, seeing who is there and what are the what is the current level of, of engagement and what is the current level of participation and what are what are the things that, that that might be needed. And it's a pretty straightforward process. If you have like an ongoing relationship, 
just by sitting and talking to people, you will, uh, in, in that process, figure out what is it that they need. They will actually figure out what they need. It's not like that like somebody else needs to needs to do it. The, the big uh, gap in, in kind of uh, uh, movement building in general, but I've noticed that in, in, uh, in, in my own uh, ex- uh, experience and, 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 and later on, is that not enough time is spent on sitting and uh, doing self-assessment. And when people have uh, time to do that, then they actually uh, understand where the, how should I say, improvements could be made. Mm. Let's let's come back to that. We'll, we'll be right back. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, director of Century International. We're the heirs to more than 100 years of international policy research at the Century Foundation. Today, we focus on the human consequences of policy crises in the Middle East and North Africa, and we try to address our findings to a wide international audience We're especially concerned with decision makers, whether in MENA region capitals or in the West and Washington, whose decisions can greatly change the trajectory of policies in the Middle East. Please visit us at tcf.org to read our reports and listen to our podcasts. Welcome back to Order from Ashes, the Century International Podcast. I'm Naira Antun, and I'm speaking with Ivan Marovic about transnational trends in citizenship and specifically uh, movements. Um, so, Ivan, yeah, you were just talking about the uh, the importance of actually forging this space within all the frenzy of, of movement work um, to reflect and assess. Yeah, it's very important. It, it, you know, it's how to say for 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 organizations that are trying to support movement building, it's very difficult to to kind of put that as as your how to say activity. This is what we're going to work on for the next year. We're just going to provide space for a bunch of activists just to sit around and and talk about what they've done and w- what is it that they uh, should do differently. But this is exactly what happened uh, uh, with us after the failure uh, of the student protest in 1996. I I already said there were two groups from two different schools that saw each other's, uh, uh, how should I say, uh, shortcomings of of each of the approaches. But it took us like a year of just sitting and trying different things out and saying like, oh, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that, Uh, and, and brainstorming until we stumbled upon the model that worked for us. It, it, it kind of, this experience informs me about the importance of like spending face time and, 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 and also time needed for uh, kind of not just recollection of previous experiences, but also like kind of compiling those and like putting those in order and, and, and making conclusions, which is kind of an important uh, uh, thing that is often missing uh, with activists, you know, we're kind of trying to do everything now, and everything is urgent and 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 requires our our immediate attention. But sometimes it is important to be able to sit down and to think about uh, the bigger picture or 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 a long term struggle, you know. And that's yeah, strategic. sometimes what's most important is not necessarily ever urgent. Exactly, exactly, and 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 we don't know that until we are able to. To, to to sit down and do it. 
I remember from my uh, kind of experience as an activist, I would never voluntarily do it. But this is why these allies, these friends of movements are important because they can create those spaces where this, these discussions are happening, where these conversations are, are, are kind of uh, happening. And, and I am very grateful to different people and, and organizations who played that role uh, in the aftermath of the of the failed student protest, because these conversations actually helped us uh, develop the, the 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 movement two years later. And I've noticed similar uh, dynamics uh, when when we were uh, helping the Ukrainian activists and we were working with them uh, right before the Orange Revolution of two thousand and four. Those people were also participating in the protests that happened in 2001. This was Ukraine without Kuchma protests. These protests failed. They were able to kind of sit together and do like a assessment of like, what is it that failed? What is it they could do differently? And then a few years later down the road, uh, you know, they actually were able to, to mount a successful uh, a series of, of, of mobilizations, which resulted in the Orange Revolution. I also kind of talked to some of the Egyptian activists who were with the April 6th movement and a few other groups that also said that the first time they met was around Kifaya in 2005, which was a mobilization that didn't produce results, but they stayed in touch. They continued uh, communicating and thinking about like, what is it that we can do different? And, and that uh, kind of uh, process resulted in the mobilization of 2010 and 2011 housing of Mubarak. Yeah, it's interesting because you've been talking about the importance of movements having um, also a, a long view, not always um, going for what's for what's urgent. But also here, um, what you're saying also is like in our analysis, we need to have a long view, right, of understanding movements as connected to all their previous iterations. Yes, I, I kind of always use three level analysis. One is the level of the struggle. And this is something that goes on for decades. This is even multi-generational. So if we talk about like struggle for racial justice in the US, this has been going on for a very long time. If we talk about like, you know, struggle for independence in any of the countries that was fighting against colonialism, again, it, it's a multi-generational struggle. Within that largest framework, which is the struggle, we have different movements and they usually are generational. Like there is a, a particular cohort that is carrying that movement. And then within that one movement, we can have several campaigns or several mobilizations that are happening, several maybe mass protests that are happening. But but we need to understand that larger uh, uh, kind of level in order to be able to, to see where is this whole thing going. Mm-mm. Another thing that really strikes me in what you're saying, Ivan, is in spite of the fact of there being... Um, a lot of shared uh, principles across the different uh, movements that you're that you're dealing with. It's your work is less about um, imparting lessons than, as you said, it's hard to you know how do you uh, get funding for like oh we want to get people to to talk together. But it's it sounds yeah less about like imparting some some set lessons and actually people discovering it uh, themselves. And of course, I imagine a large part of that is because local conditions vary everywhere and people need to see their you know, what's really happened in their, in their locale. Um, 
But is it also important in terms of, um, you know, this was just coming to mind while you were speaking, in terms of um, relationship building and trust building um, after people have a sense of failure after a, a protest movement fizzles out. It, are those spaces also important for, for that kind of thing or is that less significant in our analysis? Yeah, I think relationship building is 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 equally important. And I think, you know, in many cases, you know, the same space is used for skill building and relationship building. But sometimes it isn't. And, and sometimes relationship building happens later and you have like a small group which serves as a nucleus of a movement and they kind of almost like a, a like a vanguard you know they're like they see what needs to be done and they already start working while the while the while the wider civil society is still how should i say trapped in like uh like ruminations and like you know to, talking about old old things but eventually they also uh, kind of uh, fall under the influence of this new idea and this is where relationship building uh, starts. But in some cases, they, they, they happen at the same time. Skills are built, relationships are built in the same room. But relationships are important because a lot of this, when we talk about movements, a lot of this is uh, uh, kind of based or relies on informal networks. Unlike uh, political parties or civil uh, groups or NGOs or trade unions, which have a structure, movements have some structure, but they mobilize usually around that structure. So mobilization is much larger than the structure that 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 kind of defines it. So I mentioned the United Democratic Front in South Africa. This was a coalition of few hundred uh, NGOs, but the people who joined were much much larger number than that, and they didn't part- they didn't uh, uh, how should I say belong to any of the NGOs that were formerly there. So there was a structure that coalition, but also uh, the mobilization was much wider. But that structure also takes time to be built. And that coalition that we need to kind of create also relies on this uh, informal networks. But informal networks as the baseline, as the foundation of movements, are actually a result of time spent together, of that face time, of, of like relationships, of trust, of uh, communication that also kind of uh, sprinkled here and there is a little bit of ritual, which kind of develops as a cohesion, as a glue that keeps the 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 the, the movement together, and finally results in that movement identity, where you know people don't need to think a lot about what the movement is about, what is the vision, what is the goal. They just see people who belong to the movement. They see the banners, they see the symbols, and they understand what this is all about and it kind of resonates with them for all that to be created time is the essential element you know and what is good about time is it's equally distributed you know like uh, small organizations have uh, don't have a lot of people large organizations have a lot of people some organizations have a lot of money some have uh, how should I say a lot some don't have enough money but time everybody has the same time. So, so it's kind of a big, it's a great equalizer, you know, among, and, and I think, you know, if we understand the importance of like time spent together on, 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 on this sort of preparation, we are going to have like very uh, rapid, almost geometric progression style, accelerated growth 
when it comes to mobilization. This is what surprises a lot of observers. They're like, where did this come from? Like, like few months ago, like this country was like completely in apathy and like despair. And now like people are in the streets. How did this happen? It happened because of this slow, very tedious and very, very patient work of building skills, building relations, relationships, and 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 kind of creating that uh, fertile ground for mobilization to happen later. Yeah, and as you say, that that really important work is often missed by um, some analysts, uh, media commentary. You know, the trigger event and and missing all of those. Uh, years of work. So I'm really pleased that you've been able to to join to actually speak about this neglected area um, with a bit of focus. Um, do you have anything else to add before we close, Ivan? I, well, the only thing that I can say is that, you know, when mm. we're like, we live in a, like, it's usually like, it's it's like everybody says the same thing. Like, this is the most important moment in history, <laughs> history, crucial moment, yeah. very big decisions. But, you know, there is a crisis in politics and we can see like the, the democracy is on the decline worldwide. You know, we see like uh, that, like even in in countries where democracy has been entrenched, even there it's it's uh, like under assault, and and a lot of people are thinking like, what wh- what is it that we can do? But I think that you know, uh, movements offer a way for ordinary people to engage in politics and to formulate their. Uh, uh, not just their grievances, but also their hopes and and their dreams, and turn them into very practical policy demands and policy goals, and then to build power in their grassroots, in the communities where they live, to wield that power to pressure policymakers and to affect change. So, in the moment where we are kind of concerned about the future of democracy, about the future of like civil society, in some cases, future of the state as a concept. Of 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 kind of keeping people together in a in a, in a, like in one organized society, I think that the role of movements uh, should be kind of emphasized again, and because I think they can play a really positive role in the time. Yeah, and I think also you know in terms of uh, yes the the current moment of of crisis that we're in, of course there's the ecological crisis, and that can so easily tend towards people feeling so extraordinarily hopeless and apathetic. So. Um, Exactly. The, 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 the scale. And, you know, this is why, you know, it looks like a catastrophe that is imminent. Each of us uh, as an individual, we're like, how are we going to deal with this? But the whole idea is of like connecting uh, to like first people immediately around you and then expanding that circle. We can actually create that momentum that is needed to shift the the, the 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 balance of power that is that is kind of important if we are to deal with that and other crises like that. Mm. Thanks, Ivan. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Order from Ashes, the Century International podcast. I'm Naya Antoun, and I've been speaking with Ivan Marovic as part of our Transnational Trends and Citizenship project, which brings together experts from across regions. The Order from Ashes podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security, and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical, and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. 
We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.